0: Happy softball season! Welcome to the premiere episode of Season 3 of the D1 Softball Podcast. The offseason has been long, it has been exhausting, but finally we have come to the week where we will be playing collegiate softball. I'm Gray Robertson, SEC Network Plus Play-by-Play, Crimson Tide Sports Network radio analyst. You've also probably heard me on the Out of the Box podcast, and I'm so happy to be along with D1 Softball this season and doing this podcast alongside my friend, the managing editor, a writer at d1softball.com. What a website, a national champion with the UCLA Bruins. Tara Henry, hello. How are you?
1: I'm so good, Gray. Uh, Good evening. Thank you, first and foremost, for joining us and on the D1 Softball Podcast and really adding to what we've been growing over the past couple of years. And I'm just so excited uh, to get started and do this with you every Monday night throughout the season.
0: Yes, we're going to be in exotic places at times and maybe one Monday together, but we will be doing this every single Monday all year long. A little bit of housekeeping to take care of. There is a promo code that you can use if you tune into the podcast when subscribing to d1softball.com. It is podcast 20 all together. podcast 20, they get you 20% off of an annual subscription. And this is wonderful show that we will be doing all year long the d1 softball podcast is presented by s2 cognition s2 cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from youth levels all the way to the pros and tara this is a tool that we're going to take part in at some point this year and that really helps athletes of all ages
1: you know, you've got the likes of Patty Gasso, Jamie Traxel, uh, Scott Smith uh, from the Bombers, uh, all using S2 cognition really to get to understand how their players' minds work. So we're really looking at trajectory uh, and impulse control, how you can identify a pitch, uh, where it's pitched, uh, and if y- your ability to actually either stop or start your swing. So incredible tool. And I must say, As a younger athlete, this is something that you can use uh, heading um, as you get into the D1 level. So uh, again, I think the earlier you start with S2 cognition, uh, the easier it is for your coaches to understand uh, how your brain actually works.
0: And as I said, Tara and I will take part at some point, and I'm sure when I film myself doing that, it will be unintentionally hilarious. (laughs) Tara, let's say we start the show sounds good let's do it this is going to be a little bit different than what we're going to do every week but a lot of the segments that you'll see tonight will remain throughout the regular season and onto the road to the women's college world series let's kick it off with the leadoff. now normally we will use the lead off to look at the weekend that was but no games have been played. So we're going to take a look at some of the national championship contenders for 2023, according to the top 10 of the D1 softball top 25. And Tara, it's no surprise that the first name that pops up on those rankings and on the list of national championship favorites is the Oklahoma Sooners. Back at it again with maybe a deeper team than they had last year in what was a historic season.
1: You know, you lose a player like Jocelyn Allo and you think, you know are they going to be able to reload but uh then you gain uh, a Sydney Sanders in the in the Pac-12 freshman of the year uh you've got an Alex Tarocco you've got a, a Haley Lee uh, and the potential to 3 i i think the Sooners have all the tools and let's not forget Jordy Ball towards the end of the season last year uh was dealing with some injuries so a healthy Jordy Ball in the circle uh Kinsey Hansen behind the dish You got a Grace Lyons T.R.E. Jennings, uh, Ajada Coleman. I mean, the list goes on and on. The Sooners, I mean, their first and second string, I- I'd argue, would be in the top 10 uh, in the polls uh, if if we were allowed to do that. So again, uh, no surprise, the Sooners in that top spot on the D1 softball top 25.
0: Yeah, all those records that Jocelyn Allo broke might be broken in the next few seasons by T.R.E. Jennings. That's not really a bold prediction, but I think what's interesting about this team is we know the talent. They brought in all these all Americans. They had them already on the roster. How does Patty Gasso manage all those folks? You've also got some people who've been biding their time and uh, who saw the competition get stiffer with other people coming in from around the country. I think really that this is the season that's going to test Patty Gasso's managerial skills the most of any entertainer.
1: tenure. I mean, I think we say that every year. I, I think we, we talk about can Patty Gasso potentially do it again, but what the Sooners face at practice and the motto is iron sharpens iron. I think you've got just a team of, of competitors that compete every day at practice. And we'll look at teams across the country because it's happening elsewhere. But again, when you've got that level of talent and you can't take a day off and I think this first weekend is going to be exciting. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that when, when we get to it. But, um, you know, again, the sooner sit on top of the pool.
0: And number two, the UCLA Bruins. And Tara, I'm reminded of 2021. We spent all preseason, uh, most of the beginning of the year, talking about UCLA. And then Oklahoma kind of crept up and proved to be easily the best team in the country that season. I'm not saying that that's going to happen this year, but are people not talking enough about the Bruins this season?
1: Uh, I I think that's the case, Gray. And you know, I'm the toughest on the Bruins. I'm obviously the biggest critic, but I'd argue that the, the Bruins are scary good. I mean, you've got a one-two punch in Megan for and Brooke Yanez, like if, if Brooke is healthy. Uh, and then you got Charlize Palacios behind the plate who's arguably one of the best catchers in the country. Uh, you added Janelle Miono who was the Pac-12 batting champion uh, with, at Arizona. a uh, Rachel Sid uh, from Oregon. And then... Let's not forget Maya Brady, uh, one of the best hitters in the country as well. I think we'll take a look at who's going to take that shortstop role. Breed Perez, just a stalwart there for the Bruins uh, the past five years. So uh, is that going to be a Seneca Kuro? I think she's got the chops to, to step in and fill those shoes. But I don't think we're talking enough about the Bruins. Uh, and I'm okay saying that because there is talent up and down that lineup. And, and keep an eye on them. I know we always say OU, UCLA, but... Um, the Bruins have what it takes to make it back to OKC.
0: Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with the shortstop position. Bree Perez has held down that spot for so many years. How do they replace that production, but also that leadership? That That's something that I think people sometimes forget. When you lose somebody who's been a defensive leader for so many seasons, there can be the occasional growing pain.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and we'll see that. We'll see that beginning in the season. And, um, you know, Bree Perez, what a career at UCLA. But again, another another school and another squad that reloads continually. So just the next person stepping in. And I think that's what makes UCLA great. All these great programs is they're able to have players to just step into those roles and not skip a beat.
0: Number three was Oklahoma state and why Kelly Maxwell. You could argue that there were many times last year where she was the best pitcher in the country. She comes back. Oklahoma state adds Lexi Kilfoyle to be that number two offensively. There's a lot that has departed and they brought in a good number of transfers, Rachel Becker coming in from Purdue, the all American, but this is an Oklahoma state team that is going to be really fascinating because we know all we need to know about Kelly Maxwell. But everything else is is a little bit of a question mark.
1: You know, I'd argue, Gray, that we say that every year. There's 14 newcomers on the Cowgirls, uh, seven transfers, seven freshmen. So I think Kenny Gayeski, why he's so good at what he does is he's able to bring uh, transfers in, uh, freshmen and rookies, and get them all to play as a cohesive unit. And I'm... I'm telling you, I'm sorry, any team that has Kelly Maxwell on the mound with that uh, swing and strikeout rate, uh, swing and miss strikeout rate. Uh, I, I'm OK. I'm OK seeing what happens in the beginning of the year with the Cowgirls. And uh, we know they lose run production. But again, uh, I think Kenny does a great job bringing that squad together. And and it'll be interesting to see if Lexi Kilfoyle can stay healthy. And if she can, uh, another good one 2 punch uh, in the top of those top five uh, in the country.
0: Yeah, 14 newcomers. That is a lot. We'll see how the pieces gel, uh, and (laughs) Oklahoma State will will be an interesting team to follow all season long. Number four is Florida State, and I am fascinated by this team. I found a little trend in FSU's postseason performances. Starting in 2014, every other year, they've been to the Women's College World Series, and last year, They didn't get there. In fact, they were upset in regionals as a number two overall seed. You could argue one of the biggest upsets we've seen in regional play in a very long time, maybe ever. So the math would say that the Seminoles are going to be back in OKC. What say you, Tara?
1: You know, I I agree with the the math, Gray. I think uh, I think FSU's got a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth after losing in Tallahassee to Mississippi State. But you've got Catherine Sandercock again, uh, an incredible arm in the circle. You got a Michaela Edenfield, uh, Harding, Leonard, Mudge, and then you add Ellie Dubois, and um, you have Wilson and Mac Leonard. So you've got all the tools, uh, and. The intangible part is you've got Lani Alameda at the helm, and I think she, again, is another incredible leader that really focuses on that culture piece. So uh, I think the math's pretty good, and I think we'll be talking about the Seminoles heading into the Women's College World Series as we get here in May, but um, I wouldn't be surprised again if we see them back in OKC.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that pitching staff. Don't forget Allison Royalty as well, coming from Arizona State. Oh, I'm Royalty from
1: Arizona State. Oh, my goodness. How could I forget? I know. I've
2: got a whole list.
0: (laughs) An obscene amount of pitching depth for Lonnie Alameda to play with this year. And I think... You know, that's a proper transition to the number five team in the D1 preseason poll, the Florida Gators, where pitching might be the biggest question mark for this team. Last year was the first time in ages the Gators have not had an All-American pitcher. Lexi Delbray, according to Shane Matthews, a former Florida football player show, uh, it doesn't sound like she's going to be available. That's what Tim Walton said opening weekend. So. Elizabeth Hightower is going to get a, a big part of a load as well as Riley troll opening weekend. And then we'll see how healthy Delbrey is when she comes back.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, we saw Delbrey in the women's college world series. We saw the Gators make it to the women's college world series, which we would argue. I mean, Gray, We and I talked, we talked about this. We, we were surprised to see them come on so strong uh, late in the season, but a team that has a Skylar Wallace um, and a Kendra Felby, I- I mean, I could be biased. Well, I know I'm biased because I love speed. Uh, a, a team that puts the ball in play like that and puts pressure on opposing defenses is a team to always keep an eye on because, yes, you can hit the ball out of yard, and that's important. But um, I, I think in those close games, we saw how that offense uh, was able to turn it on. And and you're right. If, if, if Lexi's not healthy heading in that first week, um, it's going to be a little bit more pressure on that pitching staff. But again... Um, another incredible leader there in Tim Walton. And and this is why, I mean, I think we've got fans that are constantly looking at our polls and, and saying, oh, these preseason polls are this and that. But when you've got proven leaders that have done this time and time again, year after year, um, you put stock in that. And, and again, Tim Walton, um, his squads are always ready uh, heading into the postseason. So, uh, but yeah, big question mark in the circle for the Gators.
0: Yeah. And can Charlotte Eccles get back on track last year, a pedestrian oh. for her 307 batting average drove in a lot of runs. But can she be the consistent average hitter that we saw a couple seasons ago? I think it is a big question for Florida. Tara, before we move on, the rest of the top 10 is as follows. Alabama, Northwestern, Arkansas, Clemson and Georgia. Anybody in particular you would like to highlight?
1: You know, Northwestern returns most of their squad. And I think them returning to the Women's College World Series um, for the first time since um, uh, 2007, uh, that was a big deal for the Wildcats. And again, you got Danielle Williams, another viable arm in this circle. But a team that plays so well together, uh, love what Kate and Carol Drohan do there uh, at Northwestern. So uh, they lose Rachel Lewis, huge big 10 player of the year, but again, um, love the way they play and and keep an eye out on them. And then Clemson. I'm, I'm really high on Clemson. Got to talk to coach Rittman earlier a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And I think Clemson again has all the tools for them to do what they've done in such a short period of time, a program that just was started during COVID. Like, like we're yeah. looking at like a handful of years for them to already have an ACC championship. I'm just impressed uh, at what they've done. And so I've got my, uh, on both Northwestern and Clemson.
0: I'll save my Alabama talk for later. I've got another podcast this week where we're going to talk a lot about the tide, but I think Georgia is a team. That are you, to, really... you don't want to be a
1: Homer. You don't want to be Homer so early on our first, uh,
0: yeah. on our first show. <laughs> I don't want to scare away all the Oklahoma fans who are joining us. <laughs> Uh, No, but I I think Georgia is a team that could really surprise some people. They bring back a lot of offensive firepower. They've added Shelby Walters from Duke to compliment Madison Kerpix, who at times showed wonderful flashes in the circle. I I think Georgia is going to make some noise in the SEC and perhaps deep into the postseason. This is the season three premiere of the D1 Softball Podcast, Gray Robertson and Tara Henry. Our guest coming up in just a little bit is the wondrous and the phenomenal Meg Aronowitz from ESPN. But before we get to Meg, there is a question that must be asked. Now, if you want to know where I am, just check RollTide.com. It's very easy. But the thing the nation wants to know, where in the world is Tara Henry? (laughs) Will she be in a red hat and trench coat? Who's to say, Sarah, where in the world will you be on opening day?
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, San Diego was like my favorite show as a kid. It really was. Uh, <laughs> oh, Opening day. Opening day. I will be here in Southern California, in Irvine, at the Mark Campbell Classic. Uh, really excited. I get to watch the number one team in the country in the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, and we'll we'll have um, a little bit on that uh, heading into uh, our, our next segment. But here in the Mark Campbell Classic, excited Stanford's going to be down here. Washington, Duke, Liberty. Uh, I got my eye on the Stanford-Oklahoma game. But, um, yeah, I'll be out in the Mark Campbell Classic. So if you see me, uh, come by and say hello.
0: Yeah, Stanford-Oklahoma. That'll be a ton of fun. We're going to see a lot of power in that game, certainly for the Sooners, which is my transition to the power player coming on the D1 Softball Season 3 premiere. It's time to get to the cleanup hitter. (laughs) Joining us, the great, the wonderful, the wondrous Meg Aronowitz from ESPN. Meg, welcome. Happy softball season.
2: Thank you, Gray. I was wondering when the cleanup hitter was getting here, and then I looked around and realized you were talking about me, so thanks. <laughs> Wait, that's my first question. I was going to say, Meg,
1: how does it feel to be the cleanup hitter on the D1 Softball Podcast, the first ever of the D1 Softball Live Podcast?
2: I can tell you with certainty, it's the first time I will ever be and have ever been the cleanup hitter at any stage of my life. So uh, I'm honored and I hope I hit it out of the park.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you will. Uh, We've got a lot to get to, not just about this season and the future of college softball coverage, but also the last couple of years. Uh, I want to start asking about. 21 and 22, you know, 2020, we were off to such a good start. And then everything was stopped because of the pandemic. And then it seems like softball kind of really kept it rolling. Once we got going again in 21, 22, we've had some ABC games. The ratings have been really good. Has the trajectory the last few years of the coverage and of the viewership been along the lines of what you envisioned a few years ago before the pandemic? Has it exceeded it? Where is it right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, it's funny, Greg, because before this, uh, I was just reviewing our press release, which is coming out on Wednesday for the season, and the numbers are pretty staggering for how many games that uh, we're going to be covering this year, and I'm excited for that. So just, you know, PR, Kim, the PR superstar, wanted me to put a plug for the press release coming out on Wednesday, but um, it's interesting that you bring up the pandemic in that 2020 season, because I was actually having a conversation with someone about that the other day, about, you know, really March 12th, which was 2020, which was the day that, the college sports world stopped. Uh, and I remember very specifically where I was and, and when we got the call from the sec to start um, that they were, they were shutting everything down. And I really felt like that softball season was going to be one of the greatest softball seasons we ever had. Um, just the energy, like we did clear water and it felt big. It just felt like everyone was on fire. Everyone was clicking. There were a lot of teams that would have been in the mix. It wouldn't have just been kind of a, a one horse race. So I'm really sad that we didn't get to see that season. Um, But what I am proud of is that we came back better than ever. And I do believe that this sport is just still scratching the surface. I mean, we are going to do, I don't want to give away too much of the press release, but we're going to do thousands (laughs) of games uh, over the course of the next five months. Um, and, And I do think that, you know, all women's sports have really been elevated since the Kaplan report, and and I think I can say that with confidence that that certainly helped raise awareness around sports. Softball is certainly reaping the benefits of that, um, and it's allowing us more opportunities to put this great game and get it the exposure that it deserves. I hope that we can continue to do that. And honestly, I I I know the season's just starting, like literally tomorrow. I don't even know what day of the week it is. Monday in a couple of days, it's, but. <laughs> when we get to May, I am so excited for May. Like I was, I just flew in from Arkansas. We just did a, a site survey today for the SEC tournament and the excitement was palpable, just walking around that stadium thinking about what's gonna happen in May, which is you know, sixteen weeks from now, but it's still it's gonna be an incredible season. So very excited.
1: I love that, and Meg. I, I don't think people actually know what goes into producing a game uh, and how much work it is. Uh, we, I was talking to Gray about this, and we're really how does how is it decided which games get on air, where they go, like why certain games are on ESPN, why certain games are on ESPN too, why they're on ESPN plus can you just kind of explain to the general softball public how linear television works uh so that when I mean I, we don't have hours but um, maybe it does
2: <laughs> can you explain to them how that actually works yeah I think see this is why I wanted you to send me the questions in advance that I was just messing with you um so I, I think that people don't realize that when you're scheduling there we have an entire programming team that spends their their life looking at all of the machinations that are the espn networks and each time slot is essentially the hole that needs to be filled and they have to decide what is going where and what makes the most sense in terms of viewership and what's going to garner ratings and what fits in terms of time spent viewing right so they decide they make decisions based off of ratings so people tuning in and viewing Uh, They make decisions based off of sales, which is really important, right? So if we can sell it, then we can show it is really something to keep in mind, especially over the next couple of years as we talk about negotiations for the NCAA tournament rights and for uh, all kinds of things that are happening there. And then they have to decide like, okay, so if I'm going to put a softball game on ABC, right, and I know that that's going to lead into the six o'clock news. Well, the six o'clock news across the country is still sacred ground. Right, You don't get to jip the six o'clock news. That is the windfall for all local stations and affiliates. So if I'm gonna put a softball game in there at four o'clock, it better be done by six. And if it's not done by six, then that means that that softball game is probably not gonna be a softball game on ABC. It's probably gonna be a softball game on another ESPN network and something else is gonna go into that ABC time slot. So I say that because I think it's important for people to understand. I constantly get asked the question, why don't we have more ABC games? Why don't we have more ESPN games? And I do think that people need to realize that a lot of that has to do with the game itself. This sport is not a timed sport. So when you look at sports that have an actual clock, they have an advantage because there's a finite amount of time, give or take where the game is going to end and you can expect where it's going to end. That's not the case in the sport of softball. And I can tell you that the trajectory and the length of games has gotten longer significantly over the course of the last couple of years. And, That's something that we're going to have to combat over the next couple of years, because while our numbers are going up in terms of games that we are broadcasting, they're not necessarily going up in terms of opportunities on ESPN and ABC. And that's something that we need to pay attention to.
0: I think that's an excellent point. And that kind of leads me to a question that I had on the list as well. What can the sport do to be more amenable? You know, you talk about the length of these games. What in particular can happen to to make that better for these TV time slots and and maybe outside of timing, anything else that you feel like softball can do to really be, to make it better uh, for the media covering it as well.
2: Well, I think the one thing I do want to say is just thank you to the coaches, to the softball community, because over the years they have always listened and they have always been willing to do whatever it takes to make the game television friendly, which has then allowed more exposure, which has then allowed opportunity to get more games and coverage, which I think we see everyone reaps the benefits for. But I will say that we are at a point, a critical point in time for this sport where coaches, the NCAA, conferences, the rules committee are going to have to come together. And next year's a rules change year. Now, I am a vice president of ESPN that puts television sports on television. I have no business standing here saying you should do this rule or you should do that rule or you should look at this or you should look at that. But what I will say is that I hope, I hope that a lot of very thoughtful people, coaches, officials, NCA officials, conference leaders are going to get into a room and talk about what can be done to try to speed the game up. Not take away from the game, not detract from the game, not take away from coaching philosophies, but there have got to be ways to improve how quickly this game moves so that we can put more of it on television in higher exposure networks. If we can put more games on ESPN and more games on ABC, maybe that's an opportunity for us to sell them to a big-time sponsor. If we can sell them to a big-time sponsor, then we can put more games potentially on those networks. So, you know, the wheel just keeps spinning round and round. So I'm not going to stand here and be a fool, Gray, and say that I'm smart enough to know what rules need to be changed to be able to speed the game up. All I can say is that the game needs to be sped up.
1: Speaking of games uh, that were going to be televised, Let's talk about Clearwater, uh, the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational, uh, which you get to. I got you. I got it right. Presented by
2: right. Evo Shield. No, keep going. Presented by. Sponsored by Evo
1: Shield. By Evo Shield. Uh, Meg, I know you've been uh, in meetings and uh, got your team together heading into Clearwater. What can we look forward to in terms of that experience? I'm lucky enough that I get to fly out there. I get to watch the games. Good to see you, Meg. Uh, yes. And. Hang out in in Clearwater, but what can we, what can the fans look forward to?
2: Well, we have 16 great teams, right? So I I believe 10 of the teams that we have are in the top 25 right now. And um, obviously that could change going into the first week of play heading in. Uh, It's, we have a lot of great matchups. We've got, you know, a couple of ESPN games, two ESPN two games. So we're very excited about the field that we have down in Clearwater uh, the coverage that we have, you know, our talent is all coming back. So you've got Beth Moens, Amanda Scarborough, Michelle Smith calling uh, the the night side on field eight. We've got Madison Shipman and Daniel Laurie and Jenny Belton Hill and Caleb Bro and, and everybody's very excited. So I'm excited. We've got some matchups that are going to be really, really tasty. So I'm really excited about, um, you know, I think if, if you watched last year, I just remember sitting there. Uh, and Tara, I think you and I were texting as the games were going on, like, holy cow, like how is this happening the second week of the season in February? And for all of these tournaments, right? You've got obviously the NFCA tournament going on next weekend and the Puerto Vallarta tournament, I think, and then obviously Mary Nutter the week after ours. For all of these tournaments, they're just opportunities to really set the tone for the season. But you know what I love about our tournament? 40 games on television in four days from four different fields. And I got to tell you, it, people laugh when I say this and Terry, you laugh at me all the time. It is harder to put this tournament on television than it is to do the women's college world series, because the fields are like a mile apart. And uh, you know, it, it just doesn't stop. It's four fields going at the same time and 30 minutes between games. And it's just, so it, it, it is a lot. Um, and uh, you are very kind enough to bring me Starbucks every morning. And I appreciate that by the time you bring it to me, it's like my third <laughs> cup of coffee, but thank you for that. I hope you continue that trend. Uh, but we're we're pretty excited because the matchups are, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see, you know, UCLA and Florida State and Alabama and all go head to head. Oklahoma State, Arkansas, we have Arkansas in the tournament for the first time. Uh, very excited about that. Duke in the tournament. So very excited about the field uh, that we have this year. And I'm very excited that, you know, maybe a little sneak peek into what's coming in 2024 coming up soon, too.
0: Well, I'm very excited about one specific matchup, which, of course, is Alabama-Florida State, the big night game, and we have seen that primetime matchup get more and more publicity each and every year. I'll calling it with Tom on the radio, and uh, again, I'm just so impressed by what we've seen from that game in particular, because more people seem to be tuning in and getting that taste for softball in February, which was never really a thing until this tournament started.
2: Yeah, I, I it's funny because that game in particular, we kind of start the schedule with that game, right? Like we we try to decide, not decide, because obviously the teams have to agree to play and and stay, and and unfortunately got moved up a little bit earlier this year. I think it's five o'clock on ESPN, and then we have another game, a great game, UCF Mississippi State following that on ESPN two, um, but. I, I when we first started that game, I'll never forget this. The first game that we did was Florida State-UCLA. Uh, the second game that we did was Florida State-UCLA in primetime. And I remember that game. It went like extra innings, and it was unbelievable. That was There was like a play at the wall. And I remember after that game, walking off the field, and I happened to be walk by Kelly I, and she looked at me, and she goes, you got your primetime game. And she just kept walking, like deadpan, <laughs> just, just kept walking. And I remember thinking, God, like, that's what it it just you don't get that feeling sometimes until May. And for whatever reason, that game always delivers. It's like both teams, they know that that's the game and they show up. uh, And I don't think it's going to be any different. I don't I don't see Lonnie or Pat, uh, you know, pulling any punches in that game. I I think it's going to deliver in in every way. And I'm excited about it.
1: Well, Meg, uh, we know you've got a thousand things to do uh well millions uh heading into season and we're just so happy that you could be our first guest uh on our new live podcast wow, uh,
2: this is incredible look at this look <laughs> at this production value right here. Christy's off the by the way. Sharing—it's very awkward. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: I just wanted to know if Christy's there. Just, uh just wanted to say hi to Christy. There she is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Christy, you'll be
0: happy to know that I've got Tennessee, Mississippi State on in the other room right now. Well, i so basketball here here getting the back, ratings.
2: chatting priorities, people, priorities. <laughs> basketball, <laughs> women's
1: basketball. Women's basketball. Christy Thomas Cuddy, one of the best. <laughs> One
2: of and the best. Yeah. Everybody loves basketball. Go watch, but after <laughs> And Meg Aronowitz,
0: one of the best, our cleanup hitter here on the season three premiere. Meg, thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you in Clearwater. What, a, what an event it will be.
2: Hey, thank you to you guys. D1 softball is awesome. What you do for the game is awesome. I appreciate you guys, and I was thrilled to be your cleanup hitter. Never again will that happen for me. So <laughs> thank you for making my life dream come true. <laughs> that's our goal. <laughs> Thanks, Meg. Thanks, Meg. Thank you.
0: <laughs> the great Meg Aronowitz <laughs> on the, the best. season three premiere. She's awesome. And, and I hope that that was a helpful interview for a lot of people, because the question I always get is why isn't Alabama on ESPN every night? And I'm like, well, that's not really how it works. So thank you to Meg for explaining that.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's important for the fans um, to understand. And um, you know, it's not something that I knew right away either. I couldn't understand how games were fitting or, or, or why why certain games were on and weren't, but it does, it has to do with the time frame, And, and I think um, we might, we might move more towards the international uh, rules with, with a pitch clock and uh foot in the box here. Uh, if that's the case, I, I'm not against it. Uh, I think it could help. And, and if it, it puts a product, a viable product on, on big, you know, um, on ESPN on ABC uh, I'm all for it. But, you know, that's me personally. I, I I know we've got some purists out there, including my mother, who probably would argue different.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I love to plan ahead. So I'm putting that on the year end rundown right now. Discussions to make the game faster. This is the D1 Softball Podcast. That's Tara Henry. I'm Gray Robertson. We just had our power hitter, Meg Aronowitz. Thank you to Meg for joining us. And now, Tara, it's time to talk about some of the power hitters or just in general, best players across the country our preseason of the year picks now normally this will be a segment where we highlight a player of the week we'll each pick somebody but you know again no games have been played so we're taking our preseason player of the year tara you've got first pick what you got
1: you know i'm just gonna go with who i think is the obvious choice in T.R.A. Jennings. uh i don't I, I can't find or or believe there is any better hitter player uh, in the country. Uh, And I think Terry Jennings is, is going to break Jocelyn Allo's record Uh, and just watching her play and she's so humble and and the way she plays the game, she's so respectful and uh, my, my player of the year is going to be Terry Jennings. I know she's our number one player on the D one, 100 top player list. Uh, I think she's incredible. And, and, We'll see at the end of the season if it comes to fruition. But Gray, who do you got uh, on your podcast uh, player of the year?
0: Well, for the sake of good podcasting, I'm not going to pick the same person, so I'm going to go with Bailey Klingler from Washington, a top three finalist last year. So we've taken two of the top two of the top possible players, uh, and we might have taken Cora Alo if they were still around. But Bailey Klingler, yeah. the Pac-12 Player of the Year, first team All-American last season, a phenomenal year at the plate for the Huskies, hitting 435, top five in the country in home runs and RBIs. She's going to be the focal point once again for this Washington offense. So she's going to get her crack. She's going to get her chances. And if she can match or exceed what she did a season ago, then we could see her take that top prize. I mean, Tiare Jennings is a great pick. There are a lot of people in Oklahoma who can make a case for player of the year. We'll see how it shakes out.
1: I mean, again, we're we're it's preseason, so these are just pr- projections. But uh, if I had to bet, uh, it'd be I, I think Bailey's right up there with you, uh, and I know our own Brady Vernon uh, is going to like that pick as well on the D wed softball staff. Huge Bailey Klinger fan, and again, the Pac twelve um, showing up, and and again, uh, we'll see. But I'm still going with Jennings.
0: I can't disagree. Tara, that's maybe we'll have that debate later on down the road. But right now it's hard to to see past T.R. E. Jennings and Bailey Klingler as two of the top options in the country. One segment that we're going to do on this show each and every week is the six four three win probability play of the week. Now, yet again, common theme. There have been no plays. There have been no games. Everything starts on Thursday. But Tara, explain what that segment's going to be about as the year goes on.
1: So those of you that don't know, one of our our partners is 643 Charts and um, their win probability model. So there was a version one last year. Uh, We've got a version two win probability model and it'll be on the site. So you'll be able to go to the scoreboard and see the win probability uh, model. What's so great about it is each week we'll feature a game with the most exciting play or, or the best defensive play. And it basically takes into account and why we're looking at version two is version two, as it, as we gain RPI knowledge throughout the season, it's no longer just win probability of a certain play. It then uh, weights the RPI uh, from those, those teams. So as we get later in the season, uh, that win probability will actually uh, will have more data and more information to to make a more educated guess on which team is more likely to win uh, the game, let's say it's the bottom of the third uh, home team is down by two. It takes into account th- that data that we've had um, for on the softball side. I believe we're, we're going all the way back to 2017. Um, but let's say it's a 7% chance uh, that 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 offensive um Team is going to win, uh, and vice versa. But we'll be featuring those six four three win probability, probability easy for me to say, um, models on uh, the podcast each week, and I'm really excited to dive into those and take a look at the most exciting plays uh, of the of the previous week.
0: Yeah, I had some fun going back and looking at some old win probabilities from last year from some games that I called or saw and. All that jazz. So that'll be something interesting that that we'll be doing all year long. This is the D1 Softball Season 3 premiere. I'm Gray Robertson. That's Tara Henry. We're going to now preview the season. Yes, we've talked about some of the national championship contenders, but what about the big five conferences? And we're going to talk about, you know, the mid-majors and we're going to talk a lot of Sunbelt, I think, this year as well. But... You know, for the purpose of time, we're going to focus on, on the big five. And really, Tara, I'm going to ask you to pick one league right now that you want to talk about. You know, the ACC could be interesting. The SEC feels wide open. What conference do you want to speak on?
1: We'll talk about the ACC. I mean, you know, both you, Gray, you're in the SEC. I'm on the West Coast in the pack. Uh, I think. The ACC, we talked a lot about Florida State. We talked a lot about how they're going to respond after being eliminated from that regional final. We talked about Clemson. Um, Duke's another possibility. But I really got my eye on Georgia Tech, and we talked about uh, Georgia Tech earlier, and I think the ACC is going to be wide open. Uh, And Lee Morales, again, another uh, coach we had on the podcast. I think what she's done there and built over the past couple years is something to keep an eye on. But um, ACC is going to be a fun uh, conference to watch, in my opinion. I think the Big 12, you're you're looking at the the same players, but um, Georgia Tech is my my dark horse there uh, in the ACC.
0: Yeah. I love the way that the ACC shakes out this year. I'm intrigued to the nth degree by Virginia tech life after Keeley Rochard. What does that look like? We know the talent of Emma Limley. We have heard that Pete DeMore and the staff have addressed and fixed the illegal pitch issues. Will they pop up at, at a bad time? Who's to say that's why we play the games, but I'm interested to see how that plays out Duke, you know, no more Peyton St. George. They didn't really have Shelby Walters at all last year, but We'll see how they're able to replace those two arms in the circle. And, and, you know, we've discussed Clemson already. When you bring back your top four pitchers, you add a couple nice transfers, some good recruits. You've got a lot of bats back. Clemson has been on the rise each and every year. Are they ready to take that next step from regionals to supers to the world series? I think it's a possibility. Virginia could be a team to watch this year. I think the ACC is going to be really fascinating, but I think Florida state's, to win the conference you know again we talked about the pitching depth my girl mac leonard tearing it up uh both in the circle in the field and at the plate michaela enfield has got power devin flaherty has gotten better each and every year tara it's hard not to to think that the seminoles are going to take the acc the league might be a ton of fun but the seminoles are the clear favorite
1: yeah i couldn't agree with you more gray i think the seminoles are the clear favorite however uh You know, I think the Clemson Tigers are going to win that ACC championship. Uh, There's just something about it. Uh, I I think the Clemson Tigers are going to put up uh, a fight there. So I'm taking Clemson uh, in the ACC.
0: I love that. All right. I also want to touch on uh, the Big Ten because I'm interested to see how this league does as a whole. Northwestern, they're the favorite. Uh, We know that they're going to be good with Danielle Williams. They've got Jordan Rudd back. Uh, They're the only team ranked in our preseason top 25 out of that conference for a reason. But can some of the teams a little bit more down the line improve? Penn State, to me, is very interesting with Bailey Partial. They bring back a ton of bats, including Cassie Lindmark, who hit 400 last year. And one of the biggest questions of all in all of softball, what does Michigan look like after Hutch?
1: Uh, I think it's a huge question, Mark. Uh, we're waiting to see what happens at Michigan, but I've got my eye on uh, Wisconsin. I-, I think you've got a Maddie Schwartz. She's seasoned in the circle. Kayla Conwent returns. I, I feel like I'm always talking about Kayla Conwent, but I'm okay with oh, it. Is she uh, getting Kayla- her law <laughs> <degree>? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> uh, so I- you know, I got my eye on Wisconsin and Nebraska. I mean, you, you cannot count out Nebraska uh, Billy Andrews there up the middle uh for the Huskers and and Ronda Revel what what they did just this season ago i think it was like a 19 game uh, winning streak at one point and um uh winning uh, the um Big 12 uh or the Big 10 uh title as well championship title um i, I think y- you got to look at Nebraska and see what they're doing there uh as well so again Obviously, Northwestern, uh, I think, is the favorite. But keep an eye on Wisconsin and Nebraska uh, uh, from me. Those are the two that I've got my eye on.
0: Of the other three that we haven't specifically spoken on, Pac-12, SEC, Big 12, is there anything in particular you want to touch on, or are you ready to move on to some big things?
1: I think I'm ready to move on. I I think we've got some pretty clear favorites in uh, the rest of those three. Well, actually – Let's go to the SEC. I, I'm a huge Tennessee fan at the moment. I, I, we've they've got Florida in the polls, but uh, keep an eye on the Lady Vols. And, and uh, again, if you've got a healthy Ashley Rogers and Peyton Gottschall uh, uh, and any team that has Kiki Malloy, uh, who I think is arguably one of uh, the most versatile and most athletic players in the country, uh, uh, I, I'm looking at Tennessee uh, to do well this year uh, in the
0: SEC.
2: Oh!
0: Wow, Red agrees. It would appear. <laughs> I, I'm, I've i got another show this week where I'm going to make my official pick. I kind of think you might be on the money, but I, I do want to highlight Auburn. You know, you've got Maddie Penta, Shelby Lowe. We've been told by Mickey Dean she's healthy. Will that one-two punch be 100% all year long? Auburn brings back most, if not all, of their bats and offensive production from last year. Denver Bryant, when she was in the lineup, that was a team that offensively was singing. Can they get back to that point and can they be a little bit more well rounded offensively this year? If the answer is yes, Auburn is going to be way higher than the ninth place that the coaches had them in the SEC preseason poll. Will we talk about the Tigers when discussing three big things? I don't know. Let's get to the segment. It's time for three big things. <laughs> Three big things that we are looking forward to in opening weekend. Tara, Henry, go.
1: Well, first, yeah, Red was singing to Smokey, uh, uh, KJ. Uh, uh, I think uh, he had a lot to say. Three big things. Um, I'm taking a look at Texas uh, and their slate on, on opening weekend. Got some challenges. They'll be facing Northwestern and Missouri in Clearwater, I think a big question mark. The Texas Longhorns, obviously, um, they're they're farther down in our poll after being that runner up in the women's college world series. So I'm I'm keeping my eye on the Longhorns and how they do against Northwestern uh, and Missouri. Both Northwestern and Missouri return um, their pitching staff, so uh, I think it's going to be a, a huge
0: test for Texas. Yeah, that's all in one day. So we're going to find some stuff out immediately about the Texas Longhorns. I've got my eye on Baton Rouge. You've got two games this weekend between Oregon State and LSU. LSU is a team that I am not super high on this year. I have overvalued them basically every single season I have put out an SEC poll. So I'm saying, you know what? Show me something, Tigers. They've got so much talent. Allie Copponen's back, but can they back it up? And they've got a test two games against the Oregon State Beavers fresh off of a trip to the Women's College World Series trying to figure out life after Mariah Massone. And this is a team that was right outside our top 25. If there was a first team out, it would have been Oregon State for that preseason poll. I think this is a great test for the Beavers to say, hey, rank us, and for LSU to you know show that they fix some of the issues that really plagued them from start to finish last year. All right. One more big thing, Tara, what you got?
1: Uh, Puerto Vallarta heading down to uh, Mexico. I think we got to keep our eye on Oklahoma state and big challenge for them. Uh, again, Oregon, uh, another team we've got our eye on. So Oklahoma state versus Oregon in Puerto Vallarta. Uh, as well as Ole Miss versus Oregon. So again, uh, Ole Miss, a, a staff, another large staff, so pitched by committee there for, for the Rebels. Uh, but taking a look at how Oklahoma State does down in Puerto Vallarta, and, and they're all in Mexico. I mean, we've got a huge slate down there. you got BYU, uh, Maryland as well, uh, UNC, uh, Wisconsin, um, and Cal Baptist. So I got my eye on Puerto Vallarta, uh, that challenge down there, and and my eye again on the
0: cowgirls it's going to be a ton of fun old miss oklahoma state oregon they're doing kind of a little round robin thing they're all playing each other it's going to be a really fascinating weekend you've got of course the mark campbell invitational you've got the that other clearwater tournament where texas is going to be you've got puerto vallarta you've got games on campus it's going to be a really fire opening weekend tara and of course you can read all about it on a wonderful website called d1softball.com. It's time to close the show, Tara, with what's on D1. D1softball.com. It's amazing. (laughs) What's on it, Tara?
1: So we released our preseason All-Americans today. Head on over to the site, d1softball.com. We've got conference previews all up for you. Uh, Obviously position power rankings. So we're really taking a look at uh, every player, every position uh, and ranking those power rankings throughout the season. We're starting with those preseason rankings. Those will go up and down uh, per week. So we're looking at week performances. Uh, we'll have those power rankings up for you. Uh, again, the Sun Belt will go. We've got a, a nice little round table from our staff of what we're looking forward to heading into the 2023 season. And then we'll have a weekend preview on Wednesday for you to get you primed and ready for opening week of division one softball.
0: And don't forget the daily dozen. I mean, that's the best way to figure out what happened the night before.
1: <laughs> well, the daily dozen, we'll have it for you on Friday because we games start on Thursday. We'll have the daily dozen. So that the 12, uh, you know, plays or um, players that caught our eye the previous day. So uh, every morning we'll have that daily dozen for you to get caught up. But in case in case you were unable to watch softball, which I doubt all of you are are, are able to not watch every game uh, like we do, but uh, we'll have that for you on the site.
0: <laughs> all wonderful and all on the wonderful website that is d1softball.com. What an episode this has been of the D1 Softball Podcast, the season three premiere. Thank you so much to the wonderful Meg Aronowitz for hopping on with us. Tara, I'm so excited to be doing th- this with you every Monday until the end of the season, until we wrap it up in OKC. Where can the people find you on the social media, Tara?
1: Uh, Twitter, no terrible days. I can can send me a message on there. You can also... If you want to get in touch with us, uh, go to the site D1Suppel.com, but you can email us info at D1Suppel.com on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, like, subscribe, please comment. We can see your comments. Hello from Japan as well. Thank you for watching. Uh, we can see your comments on here. So um, if you are on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, uh, we'll be able to, to pick those up throughout the week and maybe be able to
0: answer some of your questions. And you can find me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson on the Twitter. Make sure you follow at D1 Softball on Twitter as well. And like and subscribe on all things possible. And of course, don't forget the promo code podcast20 for 20% off an annual subscription on D1 Softball. Support the writers, support the staff, and read some really good stuff from everybody who contributes to D one softball. Tara, I'm ready. It's time. Should we just play right now?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like in the next, like, you ready to start games? Like I'm ready. I've already finished the board. It's it's early here.
0: Yeah. Let's go. I'm in. (laughs) I'm catching a flight right now. Thank you so much to everybody for tuning in to the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. And again, thank you to S2 Cognition for being a wonderful sponsor as well. Thank you to Kelly Higby behind the scenes operating and making things run smoothly. Thank you to Megan Ronowitz for joining us. For Tara Henry, I'm Gray Robertson. We'll see you next week. Enjoy opening weekend, everybody.